All right, we are back. I'm Janine. This is Get the Funk Out. Standing by to join us is Dr. Aisha Akhtar. Good morning. I want to make sure I pronounced your name correctly. Dr. Aisha Akhtar, is that correct? Yes, you got it. Perfect. Thank you for joining us. Congratulations on your book, Our Symphony with Animals on Health, Empathy, and Our Shared Destinies. You have an interesting backstory to this book, don't you? Uh, yes, I do. Um, thanks, Janine, for having me. Um, so the, the book sort of takes a look at my personal journey and a professional journey, in a sense. So the personal is I'm looking back at my relationship with a dog named Sylvester and how my empathy for him as a child taught me to stand up uh, against my own sexual abuse. And I, so that, that leads to then me now as a neurologist exploring this issue of empathy for animals and, you know, where does it come from, what is the extent of our empathy for animals, and how does it affect our well-being? Now, were you always an animal person, or did this come on later on? Well, you know, I, so I met Sylvester when I was nine years old. He was my grandparents' dog. Um, I had never known an animal before, but we fell instantly in love with each other. And uh, he basically opened up my world to the worlds of animals. And ever since then, I've always sought out animals in one way or another. I rescued animals as a child, um, you know, orphaned birds or injured animals. And then um, eventually we started adopting our own animals in, into my family. And uh, I've, I've had animals in one way or another in my life ever since. Animals are so healing. I know this is very unusual for me because I didn't really grow up loving dogs, but we just got a dog almost a year ago, and I just adore her. Yeah, I, you know, and, and I think we're, we're starting to see that more and more with people, not just in the U.S., but across the world, is we're starting to... It's, it's, it's a weird thing because on one hand, you know, as we become more urbanized as populations, we're losing some of that day-to-day connection with wild animals in a sense, but we're bringing them into our homes more and more. We, and, and I explore this, you know, what drives us to seek out animals? Because when you think about it, there's no other species that routinely adopts other animals into their lives. Right. You know, we, we hear about anecdotes, but they don't go out and routinely do that the way humans do. And so, you know, this really, really, you know, uh, interested me in, you know, why? Why do we seek out other animals? And, you know, as I explore in the book, it's just, I think it really does um, make a difference in our own well-being. However, that empathy and that need to connect with other animals. I feel like it's also the sense of there's this unconditional love that you get from an animal. And it's just so different from a human, obviously. Yeah, absolutely, and <laughs> I, I get this a lot um, from the people I've interviewed and in, in their stories, but I think that's one of the things why we seek out other animals. You know, I love my mom, I love my sister, but it comes, you know, that love comes with hassles too, right? You know, they're human beings, they can annoy me, they can take yeah. me off, we can get angry with each other, we can fight, right. but with my cats or with my dogs, that never happens. Exactly. You know, I may get a little annoyed because they poop or they throw up somewhere where yes. I wish they wouldn't, but yeah. it's a very minor temporary um, annoyance. And, you know, they, they release us from that human-generated pressure in our lives. You know, the animals help, us, help remind us to stop and be in the moment, enjoy life, and get out of our human-centric way of experiencing the world. 
You know, it's funny you talk about what animals do. I mean, if if humans did what our animals do, we wouldn't put up with it. But like my dog eats socks, chews the floor, the baseboards, everything. Yeah, exactly. Right. And like, oh, and, and so it's cute. because I we, love we truly do love them. You know, they're, they're innocent. They're not, uh, you know, either they're doing it as a cry for help or attention, but it's never out of malice. You know, and um, and so we we recognize that in other species, and um, they are so innocent. They're so utterly under our control. You know, we have all the power yes. on this planet. Uh, you know, I don't know if you've noticed that um, there's a lot of news coming out right now that the, from the UN talking about how um, we are causing more devastation to other species than we ever even thought, and a major report's come out, and so we're wow. starting to recognize that. How we live um, it impacts other beings, and how that impacts them eventually comes back to impact us as well, uh, whether it's in a good way or if we hurt them or cause their suffering or cause their extinction, that harms us. Yes. So we, our lives are very much intertwined with those of other animals. Okay, so here's a question for you, and I don't mean this to be a curveball. It's just something to think about. I always wonder why is it that certain breeds like golden retrievers are dying of cancer? Because I think perhaps maybe it's the pesticides in the grass, something in their food, and then you talk about harming us while we lose our pets. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I don't know. Well, on one hand, you know, there are these domesticated animals that we have as companions. They're living longer than they ever did before. So in a sense, like human beings, when we live longer, there's a greater chance that we're going to contract cancer. It's, um, it's kind of inevitable. It comes with aging, unfortunately. So in that sense, that's why we're seeing more and more cancer in, in these animals. But there may be other things, as you said. There, we're poisoning our planet. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're doing so much harm to our food sources, our water supplies, why wouldn't that impact our, our domesticated animals as well? Oh, you bet. So I want to touch on your book because we just have, uh, I don't know, let's say eight minutes or so, but I want to make sure we touch on this. This is really interesting how you uh, went around and you uh, told stories from a different, you know, variety of characters, a former mobster, an industrial chicken farmer, a marine veteran. Tell me about that. Sure. So, you know, I didn't, this, you know, although there's a, a sort of a memoir-ish part to the book as I show how my empathy for Sylvester, who was also abused um, by another uncle, and how I recognized the, that his abuse was not really so different from mine, you know, that, and, and that recognition as a child is what gave me that strength and that courage to end his abuse and then eventually to end mine. So there's that backstory, but I wanted this book to be more than just about me. It's about all of us and how we relate with animals, good or bad. So I, you know, I went around the country and, and I just gathered stories and interviewed and met with a variety of people who had very interesting backgrounds, different stories to say, um, as you mentioned. So you know, there are some in which uh, the stories like the Marine veteran who uh, whose PTSD was remarkably improved after he formed a friendship with a dog. And he was never a dog person. He was not an animal person whatsoever. Then there's the, the, the former mobster who was uh, uh, living a very destructive life. Um, you know, full of, he was a, a drug addict, alcohol addict. And then it was an encounter with one abused dog who turned his life around. Incredible. And now he devotes his life to helping animals. 
And then on the other, so, you know, I was looking at both the positive stories. You know, what, what are the benefits we receive as individuals and as society when we empathize with animals, when we treat them with kindness? But then I also wanted, you know, to look at this in, in full, I had to look at the negative stories as well. What happens when we lose that empathy or suppress it? Um, what happens when we inflict cruelty to animals, whether as individuals or as a society? So, um, you know, I started by, you know, I started up this, uh, these conversations with a, a serial killer. Um, his name was uh, Keith Jesperson, who had killed a lot of animals before he went on to kill eight women. Yeah. And, yeah, and it was, it was his story. And it, what was interesting, it wasn't just so black and white. He had some very positive relationships with animals, too, but ultimately they were suppressed. Um, that empathy, that innate empathy he had was suppressed. And I explore why and how that came about. And then, as you mentioned, the industrial chicken farmer. You know, I, I pay a visit to some factory farms in Oklahoma and, and take a look at, you know, as society, what happens when we treat animals in very cruel ways. And, and this factory farmer was, uh, again, like, like Keith Jesperson, he was full of surprises. He was very... Uh, Torn about what he was doing to the chickens, and so it, again, and, and I was looking at that, and how does violence towards animals seep into other into our society as a whole? And there are studies that are just coming out that are suggesting that the violence we inflict on other animals does seep into our society as a whole. Yeah, I feel like um, being a pet owner um, gives you greater empathy for other pets, and it does something to you as far as, you know, your level of caring and compassion. Yeah, you know, I, I, I call companion animals or pets the gateway animals, right? <laughs> they're, they're like they're our introduction to the animal world, and it's, it's, studies have even shown that people who have dogs or cats are more likely to have, you know, be kind to other animals or care about, you know, the... Um, the lives of other animals. So yeah, definitely, and and that's that's not uncommon. Is our empathy is very much affected by who we know. So right. when we know animals, when we have them in our lives, it makes it easier for us to to see other animals in the same light. Just as you know, as we're finding people who personally know um, gay people who have friends who are gay or, or brothers or, or children who are gay, they're more likely to have empathy uh, for other gay people and to be proponents of um, gay marriage. And so that, that's how empathy works. It's stronger when we know the individuals. Yes. And then we can um, uh, externalize that to a group as a whole. Yes. So uh, how does it feel to have wrapped up this project? Because this is a very special one. It was a special one. It took me, it, it was five years um, in the making. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's <laughs> I'm always thinking of what next now. Uh, you know, I, it, it's, as an neurologist, I've always been fascinated about our, how our relationship with animals impacts our well-being. And I hope this sparks more conversations and, and for medicine to take a, a greater look. Because we know in he our health is impacted by everything, everything we do, how we eat, how we work, how we play, how we interact with each other, how we treat each other, how we govern ourselves, where we live. All these factors affect our health. But medicine as a whole hasn't really taken a look at our relationships with animals as a whole. 
and looked at how that impacts her health. And I really hope that this book will spark some of that conversation and, and get us to start seeing that we are, our lives and our destinies are very much connected with that of other animals. Yes. I remember, though, uh, hearing about, uh, I don't forget what they call them, but in hospitals they're bringing in dogs for people to pet and, you know, spend time with. I think that's really special. Yes, they, they are. They're, they're starting to see, just as we, you know, we had discussed earlier, that, you know, animals help us kind of release some of that human-generated pressure. They help us step outside, even if just temporarily, but they help us step outside of our day-to-day worries, our, um, our anxieties, our fears, um, even our pain, and, and to sort of appreciate the world around us. Fantastic. Now, where can people find out more about you? Um, my website, uh, it's uh, Um and I'm on Facebook and Twitter as well. Fantastic. I want to th- thank you so much for calling in. Congratulations on your book. And I put all your info on the show blog, which is getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org, and our conversation will be up within an hour after I wrap. Thank you so much, Janine. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was Dr. Aisha Akhtar calling in to talk about her book, Our Symphony with Animals. And again, all the info is on the show blog. Uh, We're going to take a little break, and then I have several more guests calling in. You are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide.